Gabriel Blake, where are we? We are at Edinburgh Castle in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Oh, we are there. Yeah, in the Tenderloin. Heart of the Tenderloin. Uh, we're going to talk about cinema. So that means that we are in Gabriel to go to buy bars to talk about cinema. It's true. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well, pretty good. Yeah, glad to hear. Today's movie is uh, Europa by uh, Arsene Trio. Do you know what year is it from? Uh, 1991. Wow. Okay. Yeah, surprisingly. <laughs> I know that because they've won three awards at Cannes. Mm-hmm. And then when Lars von Trier realized they weren't going to give him the Palme d'Or, he flipped off the judges and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> so he was only a certain regard. No. I don't think that award existed at that time. Oh. Like a new award, but it was like artistic award and some other. Not acting. I think it was acting. Well, they left German actors. Oh yeah, yeah. She was so good. Yeah, she was pretty good. Then who's picking this? Uh, uh, this was yours, I think. It was one of the ladies. All right. So should I start with what yeah. I think about the movie? So I have to say that I really like it. I was really, really, really surprised. It reminded me a bit of a... Stop. How much do you like Lars von Trier overall? Like all of his films? All of his films? I like most of them mm-hmm. quite a lot. I think that there are like some of them that are a bit indifferent about them. And then there are like the Fomeniac. I felt like, eh, sure. He wanted to solve fucking pigs. Maybe they just go to one side or another. So why did you give me the Infomaniac on Blu-ray from my birthday? Because you love it. I have seen the situation that when I watch uh, the Elkanman, but David Lynch, is that this is basically when you get one of these uh, modernist paintings, painters, and you go, well, you only draw squares because that's the only thing that you're capable of doing. And they actually just prove it enough if I actually want to do classical art. I'm capable of doing that, I cannot relate to that. I almost have the feeling that with the Elephant Man, with the Forbidden Leagues, that it was like, oh, you know, I can do something that is not completely surreal and figurative, it's going to be like this complete face value. And I had the feeling that Lars von Trier was trying to do something a bit more classic on that aspect. So I really like the Picasso. You what? Like Picasso. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, basically, I really like it from the perspective that it's a film noir, and even a bit. You know, this is basically like Casablanca, almost. You know, but it's actually a different setting, you know, after the World War II. And also the idea of many of the sets that he uses, he reminds me a lot of modernist cinema from the early 20th century, like you look at that Vizsla. For example, the scenes with the train, when they're like just putting the camera on front, and they're just trying to give you the idea that it's like a huge stage, you know, huge sets. Is that that's the kind of stuff that you would see in the top of this, for example, that kind of famous, but at the same time, it's like really impressive. You know, how they convey this kind of location of real, but at the same time, there's this kind of green black property to it that just making it more realistic than it also is. And it's funny because then they went to a bar that night and they were playing the top of this. Oh, yeah. And they were playing like the scene that was with the video was with the boys. Yeah. So there's this scene that they have a, like a factory and they have like fun of a working and building up to die and then the guy starts imagining that there's only some kind of temple where he must go to be sacrificed to the machine. You know, so it's you know like a bit more of okay, there's this kind of symbolism 
we have a way to the allies. You know, we're going to be connecting places that they were no longer connected, but at the same time, we're going to be connecting everything that is bad. You know, we're going to be like carrying this bomb, we're going to be like carrying like whatever, you know. So, I like it because it felt like way more conventional than what Lars von Trier usually does. But at the same time, it remained with the idea of uh, I want to do another story about someone that is really well intended in his actions and he's going to be like fucking everything up not himself or everything around him. They remind me a bit of a doctor that I'm not Yeah, it reminded me of that a lot. It's like this is the precursor and he's suddenly going to be very minimalist. Yeah, I think that was impressing me a lot. But at the beginning I felt I don't know if I like this, but then at the end I felt that it was a good social decision, it was the narration. The narration from the perspective of not narrating the story, but about saying that, is that you are that person. You are the guy that is really well intended, arise from the States. Oh, I want to change the world. I think that I need to do my part. But it is how, with all his good intentions, with his belief in love as a high entity, you know, as he was doing, is that he's going to be the fucking everything up and he's going to be the manipulator of the rights. So, from that perspective, I thought that it was good because most people, by the beginning of the movie, at the beginning of the movie, they may feel identified more than what? Uh, America, that I'm watching this, uh, it was at that point, I like, I would do something like that. Probably most people would have, you know, but I would like to create a change in the world for the better. So he does this kind of almost a panic move about, like, well, you want to do that, but at the same time, you want to be like, doing more damage because humanity is not what you think that it is. So I felt like it was kind of all in all, like, I mean, impressive. So it's like a precursor again to his Golden Heart trilogy, where people have the best of intentions and then they get gang back and back. Yeah, so the thing is, uh, I think that this was also part of another trilogy. It was the last in his E trilogy. Yeah, and it was all that they had the same thematic about the same topic about the song, but well intended, very naive, that he thinks that he knows the world, he wants to be the better place. So I didn't see the one, I can't remember the name, it starts with a B, it's about. It's about a pandemic. Epidemic. Okay. I didn't see that one, but I saw the element of crime. Oh, so, yeah. And yeah. all I remember from that is that it was so fucking boring that I never wanted to finish it or think about it ever again. Oh, okay. So I don't know. I don't know. How yeah, it. When I see that in the Golden Heart trilogy with Breaking the Waves and Dancer in the Dark and The Idiots, one of my all time favorite films, about this. Well-intended person who just gets completely used to the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can see that always. You know, in this case, I don't think that in breaking the waves or Dancer uh, in the Dark. What was the one? The idiots. The idiots. Well, the idiots may be a slightly different. You know, that's <laughs> maybe like a monster of its song. But I think that the other two, uh, all the bad stuff that happened to the character, is a bit of something. It only happens to them. They don't really like something bad. It was their fault. Whoa, are you saying those people in Bond Heart Trilogy, they were self-inflicted the injuries? Well, no, no, no. What I mean, the self-inflicted injuries, they are the only ones that suffer. Yes, that's true. You know, oh, in this case, it's like, this is different. It's like, this is someone that is like well-intended, but it's suddenly like, just causing a lot of damage to everyone around him. Is it even like goes crazy towards the end? You get like a single knock, it's not like that shooting. It was a badass scene. I was so proud of my American compatriots. Yep, yeah. At that point, we were like, okay, cool. Yeah, I, mean, I just love to shoot the people, not the roof. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, did any directors come to mind? 
because I was like, he stole that from Tarkovsky, he stole that from Tarkovsky, he stole that from Tarkovsky. And then after I watched the movie, I started to read the Criterion essays, mm-hmm. and he actually said he took Hitchcock's camera and put it in a Tarkovsky landscape. Okay. And you know Hitchcock very well, so I, I don't know Hitchcock that well, so I didn't know exactly what was his yeah. No, that's true. And I can see that. If, I can see that. If, like, how he gets played, and how he also got the scent in the madness. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I think this is a bit more serious, you know. I think that he's got always been focused on not not as confident that he always tries to focus a bit more on the nowadays and whatever was happening at that moment, you know, you know, like this going back and looking to last you know, something like this case is a last Montreal and he got a lot of months about Vietnam in after World War II. Yeah, I can see that. There's an interesting choice for him to make a film placed in post-war, post-war Germany. Stars of American. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're a Danish director that is... Yeah. And it was funded by the Danish film whatever. I saw yeah, it. I saw that, yeah. Uh, I felt like it was very... It was a very strong critique on America and American politics. Yeah. That this guy comes in thinking yeah, he's like, like, sort of like fucking everything. And then he, like, the second he was under pressure, he was like, ah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, what do you think? I liked it a lot. Uh, I enjoyed watching the film a lot. I enjoyed what he did with the having real actors in front of a projection. Oh, yeah. So, apparently, all of that was done. So, the people on the projector were filmed in Holland. Huh. And live actors were filmed in Berlin or vice versa, something like that. But I watched a documentary also on the Criterion channel about the making of the robot okay. and about how at the time this was his third movie and he was unknown even in, in Denmark. Huh. So this was very, very ambitious. Yeah. And um, the fact that every single scene had to be planned out months and months in advance meant there was no room. For any improvisation, so this was all extremely yeah. metered out, which I found interesting, especially considering the last like six movies he's done, like the look it's all about improvisation, which is interesting. And there was a very interesting scene in the movie where Kate is in the background on the projection, yeah. and she's talking to Leo, yeah. and she leaves this role praying. And then she comes back in color where she's in black and white. That's right, yeah. And they're actually together. So a lot of that I found very, very interesting. Um, I don't know what he was trying to say. I don't know what he yeah. was trying to say was very interesting, which is every Lars Von Trier movie. <laughs> but at least the way that he's talking is yes. interesting. Yes, it was beautiful. I yeah. enjoyed it. I mean, if you can say that from a cinematography perspective, I completely forgot about like, the uses of color. I think that that's really cool, but this influence is not a source that we have seen use. So, I remember this from the first time I watched it. Yeah. I can't stand, I cannot stand when filmmakers play with black and white in color. I 
hate the fucking Wizard of Oz. I can't stand in Tarkovsky movies when all of a sudden you're watching the plants flow in the water and then it's in color. I mean, you told me that you don't like a small game. I wasn't gonna go there. Okay. Stop <laughs> as a piece of shit. Holy shit, man. Okay. Uh, but I remember watching, or I remember at the first time I watched it, I thought, wow, that was really cool the way yeah. they did it. And the documentary I watched talked about how the colors were really related to yeah. emotional peaks. Yeah. Uh, so, like, when he pulls the first emergency brake and it's the only thing you read. Yeah. So, I, I was paying attention and I wasn't as impressed as the first time I watched it, but I thought all of the experiments that he did in this film ultimately worked. Yeah. Um, but I mean, at the same time, the experiments that he was doing, the first time I feel like at least that's something that I from the perspective of experiments that he plays with, they are more conventional, you know? You know, like for example, like with the Indians, with the Glockman, that he actually tries to be like, no, 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 I want to just strip down everything, you know, that he actually plays with the subjects that they are used as special effects. Like, we just really use for their songs, like in Light Up Horror. Well, it's interesting because Dogger came out in 95, right? Yeah. So this is four or five years before Dogger? But it is way more sophisticated than what he does. It's like with Lockman, he tries to just strip down to, okay, I want to go to the essence of cinema. Uh, you should be able to tell a good story without any kind of help. And this is the other way around. They're going to be using the cover for the emotional groups. But if you think about the movies where Lars Wanchur really succeeded, what would you say there? Breaking the Waves, Dancing uh, in the Dark, Not Hollywood. And did he. I mean, all of those are like have well, special effects and they're larger than life, they're musicals, they're. In, in Breaking the Waves, there is not so much. The only, there is like a special effect at the end when they saw like the, the bells falling, you know. But in, in Breaking the Waves, it's true that like, he actually, I don't know that he actually uses a very similar style to the Dolphin 95. He doesn't go all the way there, like in Breaking the Waves, but you are close, but it's true that you don't want to go like so long ago, but what you're doing. But they like the contrast in between this kind of hyper realist shoot that you're doing, and then the sound music with the classic filter, the classic takes, you know, the steely kind of movements that you're doing. It's like it doesn't fit, it's like a traditional. So, Breaking Noise, yes, that's kind of the outlier, but Melancholia, that's exclusively special effects for like three hours. I don't think there's so many special effects. I think there is like that shot in a very conventional way. But also, the only special effects is when they die. <laughs> when they die, don't you remember the, the very first scene that lasts for a while? It's one planet oh, going into another yeah, planet, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're constantly looking into the sky and seeing the other planet. I mean, sure, it's really yeah, special yeah. effects. It, okay, that part. Do you remember nice. Kirsten Dunst running through the golf course incredibly slow? Those are all very I intense. Yeah. I don't know what's it again. No, that's true. That's true. I just think there's something more conventional, Hollywood conventional. Yes, I think he said his strongest yeah. when he uses all of the tools available instead of restricting himself to these very. Did you like Dogville? Uh, I didn't see Dogville. I saw. Underville? Nightmare. So you never was the one when you called people Underville? And those two are about the same kind of After I saw Dallas Price, whatever her name is, did great, I was like, no, there's no reason for me to watch Dog Bill. That's going to be the best. I mean, I don't know about that someday. Uh, uh, 
I don't feel like I left it as much as I did 15 years ago, but I am considering that. Let me just think of the position of the minority views and the different views that we have now to generate or development or something else to that. But this is the only movie that I can think of that the narrator directs to the audience in a way that is like you are this person. Also, the TV show came that the end is a character that is almost really the recorded perspective. I think I'm going to get a company one day and then you will die. Yeah, and the reason that I didn't see it, it feels like a bit more of a shocking perspective. Do you know who the narrator was? Max von Sydow? One of Ingmar Bergman's four primary actors. Okay. Okay. You would recognize him if I pulled up a picture. He is amazing. He's still acting today. Oh, oh. super old. He's gotta be in the same. Oh, I've seen a, I 
Michael Haneke films, the early ones where he really wants to just yeah. fuck you. Yeah, that was the other one at the same time, but it was uh, watching it. We were saying, wow, watching this is too good. So I'm not listening to everybody. So I was in many videos. I cannot film many videos. I cannot think about anything. And now I'm sorry, I'm just too busy feeling much. <laughs> I said, yeah, I don't know about having a little bit. This is just a director that wants to wear a film that humans are the best. It's true. I mean, both Lars von Trier and Michael Haneke's hypothesis is correct. It's true. The other thing that is more, Lars von Trier is a little more softer on that. There is always some kind of, I don't know, like, they say, like, a piece of hope on it. You know, like a tiny, tiny piece of hope. It was important to say that if I see actually sacrifice for life, but if you actually see on that point of and uh, in breaking the ways, I had a thing that is also a little bit of sacrifice herself, but for the saving someone. But don't you think that in those moments, just like Panica mm-hmm. in Funny Games, they constantly offer this glimmer of hope and then Lush on Trip rips it away from you? Mm-hmm. But I think that was one too, what you think is Panica actually just pulls on top of it, is that he just presents it to you and then he pulls on top of it. Okay, so explain to me how your opinion fits in in Nymphomaniac Part 2. When she is taken in by this tiny old stranger mm-hmm. who then tries to rape her, she leaves and then her best friend pisses on her. And the whole time you think she's in good hands because this old man is just careful. Well, I think that is okay, there is a bit of hope from the perspective of the is going to be that looking at her ways. It's just going to be becoming a better human. Yeah, that's true. Maybe the ending also doesn't have any kind of culture. Nope. <laughs> not the things as much. I'm not depressed about it. Yeah. I think that at least they are never so blocking or so. Hold on. It's like, it almost feels like Hanaki sees the line and, okay, if I cross the line, what will that make you offended? Last one, too, it just crushes it a bit and he dances around it. You know, or like, don't make you feel a bit wrong, but at the same time, maybe you have a bit of hope. There is this kind of give and take. But with Hanukkah, but definitely, like, this is the line. In the first five minutes of the movie, he crushes it. In the rest of the time, he keeps that just moving away from the line. It just makes you feel like you're as close. They're both emotionally abusive, but I feel like Hanukkah stays very, like, fat. Like, this is what happens, whereas Lars von Trier sings the other way, and, like, and all of a sudden, the best friend appears and shits on him. Whereas Hanukkah would never do that because it's all very based in, like, realism. Sure, yeah, that's true. I think that the problem for many of those is 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 what he has to just go take really far away and have any other problem because the whole movie. So you can't think of any other large ones? They're actually just going that far. In this kind of a short way. Yeah, Antichrist definitely goes there. Did you see the house that Jack built? I don't know. No, so. yeah, Apparently so I watched it. I, I rented the director's cut from Amazon, but it can't possibly be what was shown at can because I didn't feel like it was that offensive or very sensitive to board. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely, definitely went too far, as I said. That's it. Okay, that's interesting. So, do you want to spoil it? Uh, yes, I do want to spoil it. Who wants to go first? This was my pick. So you're up. Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm going to go with Kate. 
I really relate from the perspective of uh, I love how he treats all the influencers that he respectfully, you know, creates with like your different resources or something new. I don't think that it gets to an excellent point that when I put his words in the kind of a medicine now, movie and then it was like it just didn't have it more than once, it's good. But I don't think that it actually gets to something I don't really remember it like four years from now to the detail. I don't really remember some scenes pretty well. But I don't think that some of the resources that he uses are used in the smartest way possible. Okay, I'm gonna give it an 8.5. Okay, well. And the reason being is that I first watched this movie so many years ago and it always stuck with me, always. Uh, and then it held up so many years later. Oh, that's good. So, but you were no longer feeling impressed about it as much. Well, that's because I've seen a lot more Paul Thomas Anderson movies, so I know what great scene is. <laughs> Alright, that's a way of reading it. Alright. So, uh, so we had already selected what we're going to be like this watching next week. That is going to be a kinky book movie, spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring. This is your thing, right? That's my thing. After I gave you Europa and the children, that's just what you did. That's what I'm giving you now, man. I'm sorry. Alright, well, that was it. Yeah. Until next week. Thank you so much.